Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. May the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, God is one. In today's gospel reading, Peter asks Jesus about forgiveness. Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus replies, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And then he launches into the parable of the unforgiving servant. This parable is quite straightforward to understand. The king wants to settle accounts with his servants, when one is found to owe him 10,000 talents. If we tried to convert that to a modern equivalent, we would find that it was an extraordinary sum, probably on the order of several billion dollars. So someone like Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, or Elon Musk could presumably pay it back, but even so, they probably would not be happy to part with the huge proportion of their wealth that that would represent. This is so much money, even they would feel the hit. So the point of Jesus choosing this amount is that there's no way, no how, no matter how much the servant works for the rest of his life that he will ever be able to pay the king back unless he happens to found the next Microsoft, Amazon, or Tesla. The king knows that it is an empty promise when the servant says, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. No, it's just a desperate plea because it ain't going to happen. And we, when he and his entire family are about to you know, be sold into slavery, there's no way that that's going to make up the difference in the debt owed either. It's chump change compared to 10,000 pounds. Now, obviously, in the story, we are the servant and God is the king. We owe God everything. And no matter how hard we work, we cannot repay God for everything he's given us. God brought us into existence and love, has blessed us with riches beyond compare. And again, we have no hope of repaying him the debt we owe him. So what does he do? Well, just as in this parable, he forgives that debt, even though for a big part of it, we got our own self and our own mess through our own poor choices and sin. And even though we lied right to his face and said, please have mercy on us, we'll repay it. We'll do better next time. What do we do? So many times we go out there and we just make the situation even worse. However, although I said there's nothing we can do to repay the debt, there is something, only one thing that God wants in return, that we show the same mercy and forgiveness to our neighbor. However, like I just said a second ago, what does the servant in the story do? who's just had his life given back to him by the king, despite an irreconcilable debt. He goes out, and just as we often do, he makes things worse. He goes out to one of his fellow servants who owes him just a hundred denarii. That fellow servant asks for the same patience in repayment. But what does the servant who had just received so much mercy do? He refuses and throws his fellow servant in debtor's prison. Now, when this fellow servant asked for mercy, it wasn't an empty promise like, that the servant made to the king. Now, 100 denarii is not a small amount. It's about a third of a year's wages. And you can calculate that up for your own personal situation in your head. And I'm sure you'll also arrive at a painful amount of money. However, if you had, let's say, 10 years to pay that back, you'd still have an amount that would represent a significant chunk of your monthly budget, but something certainly manageable. So this fellow servant could have made good on his promise to repay, and yet the servant, who had received even greater mercy, refuses to let him do that. Of course, what the story implies is that he should have simply forgiven him his debt. 
Obviously, the king is upset when he hears about this, and things do not turn out well for the unforgiving servant. He failed to show love for his brother, even though he was called to do so by the incomparable mercy that the king had shown him. And we see that the kingdom of God is one of radical love for God and neighbor, one of radical forgiveness and mercy from God to us and from us and to us with respect to our fellow brothers and sisters. We have no excuse to show anything but love and forgiveness to our brothers and sisters. And of course, Jesus ends this story with, and his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts don't forgive every one his brother their trespasses. Do you know how to forgive? Forgiveness is not what most people think. And I want, to, I want to thank Father Mike Schmitz for providing some of these good thoughts on this. Forgiveness is not what most people think. Forgiveness is not saying the same thing as, oh, forget about it. There isn't anything you've done to forgive or don't worry, I'm over it. Forgiveness is not the same thing as everything is okay. It's not the same thing as I'm no longer hurt. Forgiveness is definitely not about forgetting. Forgiveness is rooted in justice. Whenever someone's done something to hurt us, it costs us something. The just thing to do would be to have what it cost us restored to us. The person should pay us back for the injustice that they did to us. That's not mean. That's not hurtful. It's not petty. That's just fair. It's simply just. So what is forgiveness? Well, forgiveness has three parts. First, recognizing that a hurt has occurred, whether to us or something we've done to someone else. Second, we have to count up the cost, just like the master in our story knows he owed 10,000 talents. He was owed 10,000 talents. And that the, the servant, 100 denarii. We need to calculate that cost. And then third and finally, forgiveness is exactly what the master did in his story. He says, I know what you owe me, but I release you from your debt. I forgive you your debt. Forgiveness is I know what you cost me and I'm not going to ask you to pay me back. But all too often we hold on to it. We hold on to the hurt and the wrong and what is owed to us, whether it can be paid back or not. We refuse to release the person from their debt to us. And in that case, we are being unforgiving. We're holding a grudge. And we need to remember that when we hold grudges, the saying goes, it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Forgiveness isn't just for the other person, it's for us too. And it's very important that we also recognize that forgiveness is not reconciliation and that forgiveness doesn't even require reconciliation. When another person hurts us badly, there is nothing wrong with letting go of the hurt by forgiving them, but still needing to get that person out of your life. Maybe you can't be friends with that person anymore because they've simply hurt you too badly. That doesn't mean you haven't forgiven them. As long as you recognize the wrong, counted the cost, and truly released that person from having to restore what they took from you. In that case, there would be forgiveness without reconciliation. Forgiveness is not about rebuilding trust. That's what reconciliation is. Reconciliation is actually giving more. Usually the exact thing that person hurt, slowly, step by step, your heart, your stuff, 
so that they can demonstrate that they won't hurt you again. And ultimately, there can be restoration, a return to the original state of trust and intimacy. And in fact, often restoration can make the relationship something deeper and stronger than it was before. And that's particularly true with God. The good news of the gospel is that when we come to the Lord, he offers forgiveness, reconciliation, and restoration immediately. He doesn't wait around to forgive our debt. He doesn't wait to see if he can trust us again. He just does. He restores us like the prodigal son, running to us and killing the fatted calf for us. I really find it interesting that the detail is preserved that it was Peter doing the asking of this question about how many times to forgive someone. And in the story of Peter, we see the good news of this passage demonstrated. Of course, we know from the Gospels that Peter would deny our Lord three times, despite Peter's promise that even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. So much like the servant who says he will repay the impossible debt, the Lord knows that this is an empty promise. While Peter's triple denial is recorded in all four Gospels, John is the only one with the rest of the story. The parallels are remarkable. In John's Gospel, Peter's denials take place while he is warming himself at a charcoal fire. When our Lord asks Peter three times if he loves him, the disciples arrive on shore, of course, Peter having jumped in the water from the boat when he recognizes it's the Lord and swimming in. But who's standing by the charcoal fire now? Jesus. And you may think this is just a coincidence, but these are the only two places in the New Testament that the word charcoal is used. So it seems a little unlikely that it's just a mere coincidence. And likewise, both stories take place as the day is breaking, when the rooster would have crowed. So Jesus brings Peter back to that critical moment of denial and now asks him three times, do you love me? However, without the Greek, something critical is lost in the story. You may recall that there are many words in Greek translated as love. And it turns out that Jesus doesn't use the same word each time he asks Peter, do you love me? Nor does Peter respond with the same word that Jesus uses. So let's hear the passage. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Self-sacrificial love. Do you agape me more than these? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know I feel, follow you, brotherly love. I brotherly love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. And Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know I follow you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And then he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, this is Jesus now, do you philo me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you philo me? The story makes a lot more sense now, doesn't it? And when he said to him, Lord, you know everything, you know that I philo you, Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. In the story, the Lord asked Peter twice whether he has self-sacrificial love. Peter says twice that he loves the Lord like his brother. The third time, Peter isn't just frustrated that Jesus keeps asking him the same question. He's upset because Jesus asks a different question. Jesus knows he isn't going to get agape out of Peter right now. 
but he's made clear his expectation. And Peter is upset when the Lord condescends to all Peter is willing to offer, and he recognizes it. Philo, not so much because our Lord asked three times. And Jesus' different response, follow me, makes sense here too, because that's what Peter will have to do to reach agape for God. Jesus is satisfied with Philo for now, but he tells Peter that he will ultimately have agape and prophesies his martyrdom, an ultimate form of that. So to conclude, our Lord requires us to forgive, but we need to know exactly what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not about forgetting, so stop being yourself up over that. Instead, it's about recognizing, recounting, and releasing. Recognizing the wrong, recounting the cost, and releasing the debt. From there, when we're able, but it isn't always required, let's try to demonstrate the same radical agape love our Lord has for us to others by reconciling and restoring. And it is agape when we do that because we've been hurt. We are self-sacrificing when we restore and reconcile people in our lives. And it will rarely be in your power to do it instantly like God does, and that's okay. And finally, the most important part is to realize that if we're in need of forgiveness, all we ever need to do is come to the Lord because he's willing not only to release us from our debts, no matter how great, but to instantly reconcile with us and restore us to our former glory, the amazing glory of being his children. Amen. Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.